Welcome to SHIFT, a college admissions ACT and SAT podcast for a changing world. I'm Tyler, the founder of Achievable, and we have an affordable ACT course that includes everything you need to ace your ACT. A full textbook, tons of ACT questions backed by our memory-enhancing algorithm, videos on key topics, a built-in study planner, and full-length practice exams. You can get a free trial by going to achievable.me, and if you like it, the code podcast will get you 10% off at checkout. Now, let's get started. Today, we have Linus Law and Molly Book with us for a special episode. Um, Linus is actually a student, and then Molly is a teacher. So I'd, I'd love to let them introduce themselves here, and then we can get on with the topic. So Linus, do you want to go first? Okay, yeah. Uh, hi, I'm Linus Law. Uh, I'm, a rising se- uh, I'm a senior at Phillips Academy Andover, um, and I've been uh, dealing, uh, working and learning about dyslexia through uh, certain internships over the summer. And I'm also planning a, a walkathon in the spring uh, to raise money for uh, dyslexia organizations and other uh, learning difficulties. Fantastic. And Molly? Yeah, uh, my name's Molly. I am currently a middle school English teacher at a private school in New York. Um, I have a background in English education and when I graduated from undergrad, started working in a school with high schoolers and they could not read. And it was very difficult for me to figure out how to teach students how to read. So that led to me getting a master's from Teachers College at Columbia as a reading specialist. And I now work full-time as a special education teacher. Um, and it's, it's great, I love it. <laughs> Thanks for having us, Tyler. Yeah, absolutely. So this call is really, it, like, both of you kind of alluded to, right? Um, we're here to talk about, uh, you know, how to overcome learning disabilities such as dyslexia or ADHD and other ones that are, you know, ever more prominent nowadays uh, when you're preparing for standardized tests. And so, Linus, if you could just start us off kind of talking a little bit about uh, just your experience and kind of the, uh, the premise for all of this, that would be great. Yeah, so uh, I I took the SAT last year, and studying for the SAT was was kind of really stressful um, because there's the first of all the time limit, right? It's really difficult to get through all the sections, read everything, process everything, right? And as I learned more about dyslexia and other um, reading difficulties, I realized that um, you know. I already had so much stress, um, and I'm neurotypical. But for for people with dyslexia, for students with dyslexia, um, the stress would be just so much more. And so I wanted to try to set up something to help um, other students, and especially students with those learning difficulties, to um, better prepare for these tests and have a little bit of a load off their shoulders. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, there are, you can, when you're preparing for the SAT or the ACT, potentially get special accommodations, uh, which we're not going to dig into today. We actually cover that in other episodes of this podcast. Um, but even with those, you know, you're still, cli- you know, climbing up a steeper hill than everybody else who's already, in your, like you said, even as a neurotypical person, these tests are not easy, right? Um, so it's a very, it's a very, uh, 
like big challenge for these people, both on the actual test taking test day side. And then also what you can't get study accommodations for is the studying, right? You actually need to be able to prepare for these tests, even though you have these learning disabilities and that can be super hard too. Um, Molly, yeah, I think maybe just coming from your experience, let's start with dyslexia, right? Like what are some of the, uh, just in your, from what you know, like the, the best tactics or things that you can do if you are dyslexic to help both just reading in general, but then also like preparing for standardized tests where the detail of the words, order of the words and other things like grammar and punctuation are very specific. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, there are lots of different ways, um, you know, depending on a student's profile and what, you know, what they prefer um, in terms of coming at dyslexia in general. In terms of studying, especially for something like a standardized test, you know, unfortunately, standardized tests, you know, they're, they're that necessary evil, right? Um, and mm -hmm. it is not structured in a way that fits neurodivergent brains, right? I mean... You can look at a lot of CEOs, I mean, you know, Barbara Corcoran, Mark Ruffalo, right. like um, Richard Branson. These are people who all have dyslexia. They are exceptionally brilliant. Um, but a test like this doesn't always capture that. So, you know, I think Linus, you mentioned it as well. Time, um, you know, just with how their brains are wired, it's not that fast paced neural circuit. They need to kind of create their own neural pathways, which takes a lot more time. So I think the first first and foremost, if you do not have the accommodation for double time or time and a half, um, you need to start thinking about what timing is going to look like studying wise. You know, if you if you have a learning difference, then you might need to be start your study process six months before everyone else. Um, mm -hmm. That's just going to be the name of the game. Yeah. And, and then when you're doing the study itself, right? Um, I mean, I think part of the challenge here is just like the studying part, right? I think once you get through the studying, you know the game you have to play to do well in the test. But do you have any tips for the studying and, the, and studying particularly the reading or writing or English sections, depending on which test you're on. Yeah, definitely. So something I always recommend, especially with vocab, right? Vocab is a huge part of that. Um, you know, I mean, first of all, if you can read more, read more if you can. Uh, but, you know, studying etymology and morphology, you know, if you approach things with knowing the definitions of certain Latin and Greek roots, prefixes, suffixes, um, if you come across an unfamiliar word, if you have a general idea of what sub means or chrono means, then you can really, that can kind of help you as far as comprehension of the word. Um, that always seems to be a good strategy. Um, image association, I find is often really helpful. So, you know, if you're, if you're reading and you're actively reading, you want to stop and actually picture it in your head. Um, having those mental associations can really be helpful in that visual piece. Um, and, you know, I think in general, anything multi-sensory is key. And so, mm -hmm. um, you know, even for someone like me, you know, I'm diagnosed with ADHD. And before studying for some of my tests, you know, moving, like kinesthetic moving really helped. Um, it was just giving that 
studying that information with some sort of novel activity or doing some sort of movement helped me recall that information in the moment on the test. So I remember studying mm -hmm. for a test and I had laminated flashcards and I would look at a flashcard, swim a lap and come back and like recite it to myself. And as wild as it sounds, I mean, it that stuck in my head. Um, so if you're moving, like walk around, you know, I know very often people have this designated study space. Like I'm always going to sit at my desk. It's going to be a quiet space. I actually don't think that works well for everyone. Um, especially if you're neurodivergent, moving around, doing something a little different, you know, you will start to associate, um, make those associations based on the place that you're at. So switching up routine, moving around if you can. Um, if you're musically inclined, turning it into, you know, song. I mean, any of those things can really help with your memory um, in terms of vocabulary specifically. But Huh. Yeah, that's really interesting. So, I mean, what for people that maybe, um, you know, I think laminated flashcards is maybe a, a more inv more investment than people are willing to make into this. I, uh, I mean... Do you recommend like trying to take your flashcards on a walk or like maybe not everybody can really do like a treadmill or a standing desk or that kind of thing? Because those are kind of expensive. But just like, do you have any recommendations? Yeah, definitely. Um, doing something on a walk. I mean, that's definitely great. Um, you know, and it doesn't always have to be any sort of movement, right? Even if it was like... <laughs> in between, or, you know, even something as simple as, okay, I'm, you know, obviously not a math person, but um, in terms of if you're working through an equation, instead of just looking at it or writing it down, like taking your fingers and drawing it out, um, mm. you know, you can do that. Um, I have some students who do that, like in you know, those little Zen gardens, they do that in the sand. Mm -hmm. And it's even that sort of touch and feel um, that all helps. It really does all help. That's fascinating. So, so I guess why does it help? Like, yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I'm not like a, a complete expert, but, you know, a lot of research shows that a multisensory approach, you know, engaging all of those different senses, um, it just helps store information um, in the brain um, in a better way. Right. And especially since, mm. you know, the way a dyslexic brain is wired, you know, just based on how much time and effort it takes to kind of get to that language part of their brain. Um, mm -hmm. You know, and if you can access any of those other neural pathways, it's going to make things easier for you and it's going to make the information stick. That's really interesting. So then how do you recall it on the test day, right? Because you can't go for a swim. No, no. But it's, it's, it's something like, um, I mean, imagine you sit at your desk for hours and hours and hours and hours, um, you know, studying for months and months. And then you get there in the test and you're still sitting there at this quiet desk doing this thing. Um, you know, it's it's almost like this muscle memory and being in that novel situation. I mean, novelty is wonderful for learning material and re uh, retaining information. So, you know, going back to my own example of swimming laps, um, it was... It was just easier. I, I, it's hard to explain that movement. You know, it's like, oh, yeah, I remember that day I did all those laps. That was the day I studied this section in particular. And so when I got to that section of the test, I remembered that lap pool and that 
that stuff came back to me a little faster. Um, so right. again, switching it up as much as you can, um, doing one section, doing this activity, one section, doing that activity. It, you know, so when you're in the test, it's not like you're thinking back on months and months of sitting in the same place. You could be like, okay, I remember working on this strategy when I was sitting in a park um, right. and kind of differentiating it that way. Yeah, that was going to be my next question is, you know, it does it is it different types of activities or is it that you're in different places, right? Like would you recommend, you know, I only go to the park to study this section and I only go to my school library to study this section, like so doing that kind of approach? Um, I mean, I think that's that's something that just depends on the person. Um, you know, so I mean, you could certainly do it that way. Um, but I think in general, uh, from my experience with many of my students, sticking to too much structure can feel a little overwhelming um, and not as helpful. So I think ultimately, and again, this is why time and starting early is important because there's going to be a process of figuring out what is most helpful. Um, yeah. Great. And so from there, excuse me. And so from there, what do you feel like is kind of the next tip that you would give, right? I feel like that was a really good tip. Um, do you have other sort of advice for people during the prep process? Yeah. So, you know, and I think this is probably for anyone in general, um, any student, but just really understanding the structure of these tests, really, you know, essentially knowing how to take a test, anything that can help you shortcut a little bit. Um, so if, especially with like the reading passages, if you know what types of passages they'll be giving, um, if you can quickly glance at the text structure and then, you know, your brain can think, okay, if this is, you know, something I'm going to think about author's purpose. Um, so just learning like how to take the test, uh, and having that really memorized. So you don't need to worry and spend any cognitive load during the test, figuring out what's going on. Um, I think that's right. key. Yeah. And I mean, particularly with, you know, like the ACT English and, you know, the SAT equivalent, right? A lot of times they're testing you on, you know, grammar and punctuation and sentence structure, which is something that dyslexia people you know, struggle with, right? Because order of operations and things like that. What do you recommend for people when they're both like studying for those types of questions and also taking them on the test? Yeah. So, um, I mean, I can speak a little bit to the structure, you know, especially with certain sentences. Um, very often I'll explicitly teach my students to look out for certain types of transition words. Um, so, you know, for example, if it says although or even though, you know, training them to think, all right, I automatically have to think of a contradiction. So what answers can I automatically eliminate based on the structure of the sentence? Um, so like those keywords, like those transition words, um, I think just under like picking those out and understanding what the question is asking can be really helpful mm -hmm. in the moment. Um, you know, you might be able to eliminate two of your answer choices at that point if you understand if it's asking for, you know, if it's elaborating or if it's contradicting. Um, but in terms of mechanics, punctuation, that sort of thing, I have to be honest, it's it's something that we're still 
grammar's hard. And I feel like um, <clears throat> I grew up in the 90s. Grammar was not taught. It was just this, it'll happen. And it doesn't always happen for everyone, you know, dyslexic or not. Um, mm -hmm. Those are just little pieces. I think it's just a lot of repetition. It's just a lot of repetition. I have yet to find a really fun way to teach commas um, and that sort of thing. Right. So, and again, I think part of that too is, you know, if you're studying and listening to an audiobook, still track along with the text so you can at least be familiar with the structure and what that looks like. I think just exposure to that can can help. But at the end of the day, that's always going to be difficult. And that and that's the hard piece with this is just the way school is structured, the way these tests are structured. It's so antiquated in so many ways and it's not necessarily modeled for brains that work this way. And so it's very hard. Um, but my message to my students is always that, you know, it does not, it's not a reflection on them. Um, it's just a reflection mm. of the society we're in. Uh, so, mm -hmm. but in the meantime, right. spell check is great, but a lot of practices is necessary. <laughs> yeah. And like really memorizing the rules, right? Like I think that so many of these grammar things are just knowing the rules and the exceptions and knowing which one goes where. Yeah. And yeah. So you mentioned there, uh, as you were talking, you talked about audio. Mm -hmm. I thought that was interesting. So do you recommend also that students with these kind of uh, neurodivergences try or use at simultaneously multiple teaching methods essentially right you could it's you know text audio video i'm not really sure if there's any more than that for this kind of subject matter um do you recommend use you know switching them around or do you have any recommendations for like do you want them to read while they listen to the audiobook or anything like that like anything that you recommend to help yeah, 100%. Um, yes, huge fan of audiobooks. Um, I often have people come up to me like, isn't that cheating? I'm like, no, <laughs> it's not cheating. Um, but, you know, if, you know, for students with dyslexia, especially if it's in an academic setting, a study setting, tracking along with a physical book is really important because um, it's still important to, like, get used to sentence structure and, again, those mechanic pieces you know, hearing a word and then seeing the word, that's only going to help getting those different modalities in. Um, but audiobooks are really helpful because it's taking some of that cognitive load and effort off of the student. And, you know, and typically, you know, students with dyslexia are exceptionally bright. And so if you can alleviate some of that weight of decoding on their own and they can listen while they're studying, it's going, you're going to access so much more because some of that effort has been taken from them. Right. Well, and I also think that, um, do you feel like it's accurate for me to say that if you're reading something and listening to it, and it can help kind of undo the dyslexia that's happening from your reading because you can listen to it and you know how it's coming out correctly? I mean, it certainly helps, right? It helps to... And that's why we ask our students, you know, I ask my students to track just so they can see that. Um, you know, but as far as like undo, I don't know if undo is is a word I would use because um, it's just always, right. going, it's always going to be there. It's just how their brains are. Um, but it does help, right? Exposure and repetition and seeing all those things, that's only going to continue to strengthen those neural pathways. You know, um, the truth of the matter is that it might always be 
more effortful, but again, that exposure and seeing those words over time, it gets easier. Right. Yeah. Very cool. So before we move on to kind of more of a focus on ADHD, uh, do you have any other final kind of dyslexia tips? Um, I know reading is not everyone's favorite, right? And so often we avoid the things that we don't like. Um, <clears throat> so listen to audiobooks. <laughs> I, you know, I, I tell my students, you know, reading, reading in your own time is so important. You have so much more access to vocabulary, um, you know, story structure. And so, you know, download Libby or Audible. That counts as reading. That still helps. So if you're, you know, commuting or doing something like laundry, having that in the background still counts. So that's always my recommendation. Great. Yeah. So then let's switch gears to talk a little bit about ADHD. Um, I mean, I think a lot of the tips that you gave earlier about like moving and like being like trying to kind of associate like what you're studying with like an activity would also help with ADD, ADHD uh, students. Is that correct? A hundred percent. Yes. Yes. Yeah. So is, is that because you're, you're, you know, your brain's occupied? Like, why is that? Why does that work? Why does it work for an ADHD brain? Is that what you're saying? Yeah, exactly. Like, is it because you're kind of, you're keeping half your brain busy doing something like swimming that is that kind of how it works or is, yeah. Um, that's a good question. Um, yeah, you're also not a psychologist, so it's no, okay. No, no. I mean, it's, <laughs> I, I definitely, uh, you know, in terms of like the brain, definitely know a little more in terms of dyslexia. Um, and often, you know, there's comorbidity with, with ADHD and a lot of these learning differences. Um, <clears throat> you know, but I think because, you know, someone with ADHD, and again, that's a spectrum, right? So, you know, um, I'm, I'm high functioning. Uh, so I went a long time without being diagnosed, but it's moving and changing things up keeps me engaged longer. And so I think mm -hmm. that's just going to be key is if you're changing things up, that's going to help with your, your focus because it's interesting. So, and that's the thing with an ADHD brain. It's like, stimulate me. Like I need to be stimulated. So any way that you can do mm -hmm. that for yourself is, is helpful. And do you feel like the novelty is helpful? Like, like you mentioned novelty earlier, but so should I be trying to do a different physical activity every week or, you know, is it good enough to just take different walks? Like what sort of. Yeah, yeah. different walks for sure. I mean, you know, if I'm working on something in particular, you know, I do public speaking, um, you know, in my own time and, you know, there's a park near my apartment and every time I walk through my park, there are little different things that happen that kind of make it novel for me. Um, right. So, you know, seeing a certain type of dog or, you know, watching a couple argue on the bench, like those are novel things that happen um, that kind of make it an interesting experience for me. But mental associations really work well for me. That visual association um, kind of brings me back to the moment. But again, it might not work for everyone. So I just suggest trying different things and seeing, seeing what works for you. Right. Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. Well, then for for any any sort of other than what we've already covered, any specific tips for getting focused enough to study when you're, you know, ADHD? 
Yeah. Even if it's from your personal experience, right? Yeah. Breaks, breaks, breaks. Uh, you know, I often feel like there's, there's still so much shame around these things, these diagnoses. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's frustrating because it's like some of the most brilliant and successful people. Like seriously, you know, if you Google anybody with ADHD and dyslexia, I mean, you're going to see tons of incredible people. And yet there's still this, this shame. And so, you know, growing up for me, especially, it's like, I felt like I had to punish myself to be like everyone else. It's like, no, you have to do it uh -huh. this way. You have to do it this way. Keep going, keep going. Um, and so kind of accepting, you know, once I was diagnosed, accepting that I thrived from breaks. It's like, no, I can take a five to 10 minute break every hour or so. That's okay. You know, it's fine right. to need that break. Um, I think very often we're very hard on ourselves because we compare to other people. And it's, it's just detrimental in the long run. So have some grace for yourself. Um, definitely break it up. And, you know, don't be... Don't be ashamed that your studying routine looks a lot different than someone else's. Um, so, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I mean, it sounds almost like uh, you're talking about like the Pomodoro method. Have you heard of that? The what? Sorry? Pomodoro method? Or it's I've heard of it. I'm not that. super familiar with it, but... Yeah, I mean, the rough idea is like, you know, and there are people that have made YouTube videos for this and stuff, but basically it's that uh, you do, you know, either 25 or 55 minutes of work and then you have a five-minute break. Mm -hmm. And you like do that as like a system. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, I also wonder when we're talking about prep, is there any, is, is there anything that can kind of help make it interesting to go back and like redo and re-review the stuff that you got wrong? Right. Cause I mean, if you're studying something for the first time, it can often be interesting, but if you're kind of going over it for the third or fourth time, it can get, pretty boring right um so any any sort of tips for that or anything to make that more fun uh that's a great question i think sometimes mm -hmm. things are just boring <laughs> for anybody yeah. you know what i mean um you know dyslexic or not uh and that's that's an unfortunate piece i think just in the nature of these tests is part of it is just doing it but um right i mean honestly and this might just be maybe this is just me and this is just being silly but Anytime, like when, especially when I was studying vocabulary and going back on words that really just I got stuck on, um, using them in sentences that were incredibly ridiculous, like like <laughs> over the top, really silly, like how insane can I make this sentence? Guaranteed, after I like I was laughing and wrote that, even as inappropriate as it may have been, I never forgot that word, right? So if right. you're stunning, give yourself permission to to take it lightly. I know there's so much seriousness around this, but um, that's only going to increase your anxiety. So if you can like have a little fun with it, <laughs> feel free to have a little fun. <laughs> yeah, no, that I like that tip a lot actually, um, because you'll, if you do something ridiculous, first off, writing your own sentence with the vocab word is just a good idea anyway. Yeah. Um, that's a good way to remember them. But you're, if you keep saying, you know, the, the dog, uh, I don't know, the dog jumped over the brown cat, and then you have, like, you know, vocab words in place of the word jumped. I mean, it's not, maybe it won't really help you as much, or it won't be as memorable. So doing something absurd. Right. I really like that idea a lot. Right. And yeah, it's just, 
like a year we like the word egregious and you know me and a friend going back and forth and trying to think of the most egregious like silly act you know that someone could commit and now it's just that's part of my vocabulary now because I remember that moment um and I guess that's another piece too in just saying that um if you can talk through something with another person if you have right. someone with you that's going to be so helpful um so whether that's a tutor or a friend someone you trust um Right. That yeah. Really study buddy. Too. Yeah. Study buddies really do make a difference. I I also, I like the study buddy suggestion a lot because certainly um, if you are, you know, ADD or frankly, even if you're, even if you're a normal person, like it's easy to get distracted. Right. So if you have someone else there with you and they're doing the same thing, you can kind of keep each other accountable Yeah. and make it so it's like, yeah, we're both here to study. Like we can be on our phones later. Like, let's do this. Right. 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 Yeah. And verbally processing, you know, I think for, for many students with ADHD and dyslexia, processing things verbally um, can be really helpful. So having a partner there to do that with is really great. Yeah. Yeah. I, I like all the, all that advice. Um, so then the last thing I want to talk about today is, you know, on test day, mm -hmm. right? When you're taking the SAT or the ACT, even if you, so, I mean, sometimes you can get special accommodations and then you have more time, which is great. It's a big advantage. Uh, but it also means, you know, regardless, at a minimum, you're spending, you know, for the ACT, like three hours, 45 minutes. The new SAT is two hours. I bet you there will be a new ACT at some point that's shorter too. But if you get extended time, it's going to be even longer than that, right? Like it could be five, six hours. That's a long time to concentrate. Most students, regardless of their neurotypicalness, take one hour tests at most, right? So now you're taking at least a two hour test up to like a six hour test, depending on which one it is and whether you got extra time. How do you manage all of that, right? You get some breaks, but they're not, they're pretty few and far between. Yeah, so generally if a student has um, a diagnosis and they have an accommodation, right? They're legally mandated to have that accommodation. So generally with something like time and a half or double time, um, there are other pieces that go into that. Um, and so often that's extra breaks. So, um, uh -huh. you know, a few breaks every 30 minutes or something of that sort, um, because otherwise five hours straight, I mean, that's inhumane. Um, but, you know, outside of that, um, and this, you know, is a suggestion that I think most students groan at, but I swear by it, is learning some meditation techniques and breathing techniques, um, yep. you know, just to like refocus and to some extent, like tapping back into your body. Um, you know, there, you have a limited range of movement on test day. So if you can kind of be aware of small movements with your body, even if it's like shoulder rolls or neck rolls, you know, certain breathing exercises, not only will that calm you, um, but it's helping you kind of like move your body a bit. So right. um, I think that's, that's important to practice. And that's another thing you have to practice. Meditation's not easy, but um, even just like basic breathing practices can be really helpful and bring you back into the moment. Yeah. And really helpful for test anxiety too, right? And I, which is something that I think a lot of people who have these learning disabilities also experience. And yeah, I, I understand why you said that, but if you're a, you know, a high school student listening to this and you think it's kind of silly to do meditation, 
they actually have proven in psychology studies that people that meditate score better on the tests, right? So all you have to do is learn how to, you know, take deep breaths for 30 seconds and you can get a higher score and maybe get to go to the college you want to go to. That's pretty easy, right? It's a lot easier um, than becoming, you know, a D1 swimmer or whatever it is. Right, right. So, yeah. yeah and it, and that's think... a skill that, that you will take anywhere you go, right? I mean, I don't remember mm-hmm. the math equations I did in my SAT, but, you know, those breathing techniques can help in any situation. So it's only going to help you in the long run. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, great. Any, uh, any sort of parting thoughts here before we wrap up? Um, yeah, I mean, I think just, and maybe this is a little, a little cheesy, but, um, you know, a lot of my students and, you know, friends that I know who have these differences, again, just speaking back to that shame, um, you know, I think we place Mm. a lot of, our identity and feelings of success in these things. And yes, this is important. And yes, it is an indicator of what is to come. And it plays a part in that, Um, you know, but I just always try to remind my students that is a part of who they are. It is not who they are. Um, And just thinking like holistically that their brains work in such beautiful ways that are not captured on this test in particular. So to not remember to place all of their eggs in this little standardized test basket that they are a multifaceted person. Um, this is just one piece of that puzzle. So, you know, the world is a better place because these neurodivergent brains are in it. Um, so mm-hmm. keep on keeping on it. Everyone's doing really well. Keep it up. <laughs> <laughs> Great. Well, thank you so much. This has been shift a college admissions podcast for a changing world hosted by Tyler from Achievable with Linus Law from Phillips Academy Andover and Molly Book. And uh, Achievable has a ACT course that you can try for free by visiting achievable.me. And if you like it, be sure to use the code podcast to get 10% off.